This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Hello and welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by the Family Planning Korea Schools and Community Team. Doing it because that's a question we get asked a lot from students about how to do it and parents and carers as in how do you do it, how do you have these conversations with young people. My name is Anne. I'm part of the Family Planning Victoria Schools and Community Team and we go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so that we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. Today I'm going to be speaking with Associate Professor Christopher Fisher from Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society. That's Archers for short. This is at La Trobe University. This is a really exciting episode for me to do because among other research, Archers publishes a study called the National Survey of Australian Secondary Students and Sexual Health. This study has been done around every five years since 1992. The survey includes students in grades 10, 11 and 12 from all types of schools and so provides a really important picture of the sexual health understandings and sexual behaviour of young people. This information helps us in shaping our programs in order to provide information which is helpful and relevant to students. Parents and carers are of course also very interested in the findings of this survey also. The most recent survey done in 2018 has just been released and I'm going to ask Christopher about some of the key findings and areas of change since previous studies. So Christopher, thank you for talking to me. Yes, thank you for having me. Great. Um, my first question about the Sixth National Survey is um, you've changed the recruitment method for doing the survey. Um, why have you done that and how has that worked this time? Sure. Um, it, it worked really well. <laughs> we ended up with the largest sample we've ever had for the survey, mm-hmm. um, a little over 6,300. And what we did differently is in the past we've actually gone into schools and tried to recruit young people through the schools using random selection of, of schools and then classrooms within schools. This time around we went to an online mode of recruitment and we did that because we got a lot of advice from a lot of our stakeholders. So we talked to family planning organizations, we talked to uh, departments of education, departments of health, um, other researchers, and particularly researchers who had um, previously worked on the study in previous iterations. And the general consensus was that, um, particularly given some of the issues they had in recruitment in schools in the 2013 survey, that mm-hmm. uh, schools were increasingly just a, a challenging environment to do this kind of research. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got a, a big push to say, you should definitely go online and just do a fully online survey. directly through mm-hmm. Facebook. Correct. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I and do you think that's changed the results or changed the sort of students you get? Um, I think so. We had um, considerably higher numbers of young people who go, attend Catholic or independent schools in Australia, which mm-hmm. is something that we've had in the past, but considerably mm-hmm. lower numbers. Right. So um, we were able to get a much larger number of students in that range. Um, and really the nice thing overall is because we used... Facebook as as a recruitment tool, which reached a large proportion of young people in Australia today, um, based on other research and social media work, what we got was a really good cross-section across states' territories by gender, Mm. by year Mm. in school, and by school type. Mm, Great. 
Um, and here's what everyone wants to know. <laughs> How much sex are young people having? And is it more or less than last time we did the survey? <laughs> <laughs> so young people are, are having sex, but not all of them are having sex. So according to the results of the 2018 survey, about 47% have at some point in their life engaged in uh, some sort of sexual intercourse. So that number does appear to be higher than the 2013 survey. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, the 2013 survey was a, uh, ran into some challenges with recruitment. And yeah. so we tend not to compare 2013 and 2018 yeah. on the raw numbers because yeah. it's comparing apples and oranges, yeah. right? Um, so it's comparing condoms and oral contraceptive. Yeah. It's very different in the yeah. way they work. What we do look at is other nationally representative research that's been done in Australia. And there was mm -hmm. the Australian um, study of health and relationships back in 2012 that found um, a little over 50% of people had engaged, had their first vaginal intercourse experience by the age of 17. Mm -hmm. So we're actually a little bit less than that. Okay. Yeah. So right. I would say it hasn't really changed much. Hasn't changed too much. Around mm -hmm. the same. Around so the same. By and year 10 students are having less sex than year 12 students. Exactly. It's definitely an age progression in yeah. terms of the behaviors that they're engaging in. Yeah. So by the end of, by year 12, the statistic was something like 53%. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. So still just about half. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of kids that aren't having sex. Yeah. And do young people use condoms? Um, a good portion of them do. Um, so we asked a couple different questions around condom use. We asked them um, how often in the last year they'd used condoms for those mm -hmm. who were sexually active. Um, and that was upwards of, of about 67% who said they had always or often used condoms when they had sex. Um, and then, but, but we also ask about, you know, the last time you had sex, did mm -hmm. you use a condom? Um, that's where the number starts to go down. We're down in the 53-ish percent range. Yeah. Um, that's so, really surprising to yeah. me. But what we did notice is that um, what's happening is young people um, often are having sex um, within a relationship. Mm -hmm. And they in those relationships, they're having conversations. So that was one of the nice things that we saw. A good number of young people were having conversations mm -hmm. about whether or not to use a condom or yeah. whether or not you know, how they were going to protect against pregnancy or mm. STIs, um, whether or not they even wanted to have sex. Mm. Um, so they're having these conversations. And what we found is for the ones who said they hadn't used a condom, a lot of them were saying, well, you know, I know my partner, I mm. trust my partner. Um, and they were actually had moved to oral contraceptive oh, for heterosexuals. Yeah. Okay. How many young people send sexts or nudes? I know that's sort of <laughs> an old, sexting is the old fashioned term. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, um, we call it collectively, we'll just call it sexting. Yeah. Um, we actually asked a whole bunch of questions around that. So we asked about um, had you received or had you sent sexually explicit written text messages? Mm -hmm. um, those were by far the most common practices. Um, about 50% of young people is that they received one. Sexy words. Yes. So it could so be like no a, 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 a note wow. as far as, yeah, the, we said written text message. Mm -hmm. Um, so we assumed that that was written or maybe it was an emoji or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, that was about, about half. Um, but when you, get, you start getting into actually explicit pictures, whether they received or sent, those numbers drop considerably. And when we take mm -hmm. all of the potential sexting behaviors that we asked about and average it out, it's about a third of engaged in, in those behaviors. And mm -hmm. that's in the last two months from when they took the survey. Mm -hmm. And we also asked how, for those who said they did that, did those behaviors, we asked how often they had done it and who they'd done it with. And the frequency was only a couple times a month for most young people. Um, and the ones that they were doing with were primarily a boyfriend or a girlfriend mm -hmm. um, or a friend. 
Yeah, so it's a partner. Yeah, and has that decreased since the last survey? It's about the same, and maybe slightly less. Um, yeah. But again, apples to oranges, yeah. condoms okay. to the pill. Yeah. Young people seem, when you talk to them in class, they seem really ready to take up language around gender diversity and changes in sexual identity and things like that. So Mm -hmm. how have you approached that in the survey? Um, We actually expanded the questions that we've been asking uh, around sexual orientation and gender identity. So in past surveys, we actually, other than providing another option with write-in for gender, um, there were no other questions. So we actually add some additional questions around um, the sex that they were assigned at birth and the Mm -hmm. current um, gender that they identified with. Um, And we actually had about 2% of the total sample um, that uh, responded to the survey indicated uh, some form of a trans and gender diverse identity, so something other than cisgender. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, in the past, have asked about sexual attraction, who are you mostly attracted to, um, been able to break that out by gender to kind of give some sort of indication of sexual orientation. And so we added in questions of actually explicitly saying, you know, how do you currently identify mm-hmm. you know, heterosexual, gay, lesbian, bisexual? Um, and that's where we found that for sexual orientation, we've got 25% that identified as something other than yeah. hetero, um, heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was actually a, a sizable number that said they weren't sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who identified as bisexual, mm-hmm. uh, about 5% that said gay or lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how does that compare to the general population of... Uh, and that, it's a challenging question because yeah. we don't have good population estimates yeah. of identity. Um, but when we look at other research um, that have asked similar questions in Australia, um, for example, there's an ongoing longitudinal study of young women's sexual health in Australia, and they're finding, particularly for uh, younger generations, that they're finding the same kinds of numbers. Mm. So, yeah, so we, we don't feel like it's, it's definitely not an indication of suddenly there are more, mm. you know, gay kids or there are more yeah. transgen- transgender diverse. They're just feeling... They're in an environment now, socially and culturally, where they yeah. can express themselves and feel yeah. confident and say, yes, this is yeah, my identity. Taking a bit longer to think about it. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting to us because we're in Victoria and we go out and talk to young people about Victorian laws. Mm. Um, so is there a difference between state data or city and country data? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we've got really good breakouts across state and territory. Um, we're not at a stage yet where we can say there are differences between states. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a li- kind of preliminary digging around that. And so far what we're seeing is it doesn't seem to be like a whole lot of difference um, mm-hmm. across states. But again, um, more work to be done in that space. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, of urban versus rural or remote, um, we also have data around that. And again, it's something that we're looking to dig into a little bit more mm. in the future. Yeah, that's pretty really interesting. How does this uh, sexual health information compare to young people internationally? What do we know about how they compare? So we know that um, young people in Australia, uh, by and large, are getting some form of relationships and sexuality education in the schools. Um, that's upwards of 85% um, in the latest survey. That is considerably higher than what we might see elsewhere. Um, so 
my sense is they're more likely to have gotten some form of sex education in schools mm-hmm. in Australia than if they were from another country. Um, particularly, you know, when we look in, in Southeast Asia, the, there's a lot of lack of mm-hmm. sex education um, and still working on incorporating that into their curriculum. So in terms of knowledge, it's really hard to say because this is actually one of the few, if not the only studies mm, that does a, yeah, does a yeah. national study to look at what do people actually know about HIV transmission, about STIs, about HPV, hepatitis. Um, so we don't really have any good comparisons that we've found yet. Um, mm-hmm. And we're actually working on that, trying to identify to see if there are other countries we can compare ourselves to um, or even perhaps work with them to try and start collecting that data. Mm. Is there evidence in the research that says relationships and sexuality education leads to better health outcomes or better knowledge about what they know about sexual health? Mm-hmm. So um, we actually recently published a paper based on the 2013 survey that does show a correlation between having received sex ed and scoring better on basic knowledge items mm-hmm. so around HIV, STIs, and HPV. Um, so there is that relationship. Um, it's always hard to say if that's absolutely a result of what happened in mm-hmm. in the schools, right? There might be other factors associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a massively large difference, but mm. there was some difference. So mm. our sense is that there probably is some something going on in the schools, in some schools, that helps to improve that knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we're in the process of actually running similar analyses from this year's survey. So again, mm. more to come more on to that. Come. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's interesting because you've asked the young people what they actually know about particular STIs. When we go in and talk about STIs in a class... We actually don't give them lists of these are the symptoms, this is what happens. We just say, go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go and find out. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you've found is that young people trust their doctor really, um, really well. They have Mm -hmm. a a good sense of trust about doctors, but they're not actually going to doctors. Yeah. Um, So they are going to the doctors, but the frequency with which they're going to their Mm. doctors is is what you would expect, right? Usually Mm. most people would go to their doctor maybe once a year or twice a year Mm. um, to get, you know, renewals for prescriptions or, Mm. you know, just a regular yearly health check. Um, And we're seeing the same, I would imagine the same things in in adolescents today in Australia. They don't often have reason to go to the doctor. Um, And so while they have those really high levels of trust, for accurate information from mm. GPs, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're accessing that as mm. a source. Yeah, where else are they going for their information? They're going a lot of different places. So we've um, we actually ran um, a quick analysis and found that on average, young people are accessing at least four or more sources of information mm-hmm. um, around sexual health. Uh, so they they are going to the internet. Um, that was the highest rated item in terms of where they have ever gone for sexual health information. Um, But they also indicate that they have relatively low levels of trust Mm. of the internet. So it would seem like there's they're going there, but they also recognize that not everything on the internet is accurate, right? Mm. So hopefully they're using those well, critical thinking skills. Yeah, absolutely. Very digital natives, right? Mm. That's who we're working mm. with. So they know how to kind of navigate that mm. space. And it sounds like they're probably learning some of those critical thinking skills in the schools um, and from, you know, community and parents. Mm. So that's a really good thing. Um, but they're um, also talking to their friends. Uh, female friends were by far the most use source of, inf- of information or the people that they felt most confident talking to about mm-hmm. sex and sexual health. So there's definitely a role to play for peers. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if there are ways where we can help to educate, um, you know, 
uh, popular opinion leaders in a school, mm. right, to have a little bit more knowledge to be able to make sure that they're providing accurate information, mm. um, or at least have, knowing where to go to get that information could be really useful. Um, a lot of young people are actually pretty comfortable talking to mom as well. Mm. Um, now, what specifically they're comfortable talking to mom about, we're not 100% sure, right? Mm. We, didn't, we weren't able to dig that deep in our survey. So uh, more work to be done to really kind of understand where they're going for what types of information mm. because they're seeking out at least four or more sources of information that chances are they're going to different sources for different for types different of things yeah and how did how did dads go dads didn't fare quite as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um definitely uh, mom was was the one that they were more comfortable talking to yeah, yeah. that's interesting even for boys even for boys even for boys yeah Boys were still more comfortable. They were more comfortable than girls talking to their dads, um, but dads still ranked yeah. relatively low on the scale. At the launch of this research, you said the kids are all right. Mm. And you kind of said they are generally making really responsible, informed choices about their sexual health. What did you mean? So I, the kids are all right. They, um, while there is definitely room for improvement, um, and we don't want to belittle that message, right? We also want to kind of lay it out that, you know, in terms of things like HIV transmission knowledge, STI transmission knowledge, kids are doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. They know what signs and symptoms might be. They know how HIV can be transmitted. Um, so those are really good good things. They more than half are using condoms at their last sexual event, um, and, and two-thirds are saying that they're using it almost all the time in mm -hmm. the last year. Right? So for the ones who are sexually active, they're, using, they're usually using condoms or oral contraception mm -hmm. um, for heterosexual couples. So that kind of indicates they're actually engaging in some really responsible behaviors. And I think mm -hmm. one of the things that really jumped out at for me was the rates at which they were having conversations the last time they had sex. They were talking to their partners mm -hmm. about some of these issues, mm -hmm. right? So um, that's a really good sign yeah. of a, some responsible behavior that they're actually communicating. Obviously, there's room for improvement, right? We'd like to see condom rates be higher. Um, there's definitely room um, to look at how we talk about uh, long-acting reversible contraceptive because those rates are really low. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of, of young people are, are using those options. And so if that is a good viable option for adolescents in Australia, then that's something that um, we might want to look at in ways that we can try and increase that uptake. You know, also the fact that they are looking for a lot of different sources of information that shows that they're they're not just relying on one key source, right? They're, they're engaging in some, some critical thinking and, and trying to evaluate the best information yeah. possible. And also the young people that weren't having sex were feeling good about that decision. Yes, yes. Yeah. Both, both ways. Those that were having yeah. sex the last time felt yeah, pretty good felt about positive. it. Didn't have negative, really much yeah. negative feeling about it. And the, yeah, the ones who aren't yet having sex felt pretty good about that decision. I think the really key bit on that is that um, most of them reported not feeling peer pressure or parental pressure to either have sex or to remain a virgin. So that yeah. that's you know they they seem relatively confident in that they're not having sex and that they will do it when they're ready um, yeah. and not feeling a lot of pressure to do it yet. Yeah. Well, that is an awesome result. It's, it <laughs> is, and you know, again, and these are this is always the fun bit when you're doing big national research like this mm. is you know at the end of the day we're you know kind of adding everybody up and saying okay what's what's the general trend um what are the majority of people doing or not doing mm. um so it's you know across all of these numbers there are instances where there are some not so great results right we did have um still have about 25 percent a bit 
who have reported ever having an unwanted sexual event. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really disconcerting. Uh, The great thing is this time we actually had some additional options for writing in on that, and we got some really interesting pieces of information. We're, We're still sifting through all of that, but what we can say so far is that out of the 6,300 kids that responded to the survey, only 49 explicitly articulated some form of rape, sexual coercion, um, or violence. Um, 49 is too many, mm-hmm. but it's uh, less than a percent of, of what we're looking at. So that mm-hmm. that was, you know, there's a good side to that. Obviously, there's still more work to be done. Um, and it really kind of started to highlight some of the complexities around this idea of unwanted sex and what does that mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was um, one, I remember one of the quotes from one of the young people wrote in that, you know, I, you know, we started kind of going at it and then things were going along and I changed my mind and decided I didn't want to, told my partner I didn't want to anymore and they stopped mm. and respected me for that, right? So that was kind mm. of a nice empowering story. Yes, they had an unwanted experience, yeah. but when they detailed it, it was, yeah. I didn't want it, I stopped it and my partner stopped. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of a nice, nice thing to know. Yeah. Do you have any other favorite comments? I know some of the... The young people, longer statements about their experiences. Do you have a favorite positive one? You know, it was really, there's, um, we asked that question at the end of the survey, um, open in a comment, anything they want to tell us about their sex education, um, and, and following a question around relevance of sex ed. You know, obviously the ones who tended to respond were the ones who had some sort of criticism to provide, but we actually had some really great, well thought out, you know, paragraph of mm. like, you know, my sex ed was great, and you know, mm. my teacher used all these different teaching methods, and um, you know, answered all of our questions and made us feel comfortable. So mm. you know, so there's some really good work going on in the schools, mm. um, and that's really heartening to hear. And you know, just like our message, you know, the kids are doing all right, teachers are doing all right, yeah. you know, and now let's use this to try and take it to the next level. Yep, that's absolutely what we're going to try and do. Thank you so much for talking to me, Christopher. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to try and summarise what Christopher said in the interview, but I thought I'd pull out some really interesting statistics from the survey itself. Uh, So something we talked about was how much sex young people are having. Um, Year 10 students, 31% of males and 36% of females, 11% of trans and gender diverse people say that they have had sexual intercourse. In year 12... 52% of males, 58% of females, and 46% of trans and gender diverse people say that they have had sexual intercourse. In total, out of all the students surveyed, 46.6% of students between the years 10 and 12 have had sexual intercourse. Students were asked about unwanted sex. 15% of males and 36% of females and 50% of trans and gender diverse people say that they've had an unwanted sexual experience. 84% of students say that they were sober the last time they had sex. 88% of students said that they felt good about their last sexual experience. 62% of students often or always used a condom. Of students who have not had sex, 89% said that they feel no regret about this. 69% said that they did not feel pressure from a partner. 74% of students said that female, a female friend had been a source of sexual health information for them. 
In terms of attraction, 67% of males say that they are only attracted to females. 55% of females say that they are only attracted to males. I'm going to add a link in the episode description to the Australian Research Centre into Sex, Health and Society. They have many publications which relate to the opinions and practices of Australians. I'll also provide a link directly to the 6th National Survey of Australian Secondary Students and Sexual Health 2019. For international research and information, UNESCO, United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organisation, in 2017 published a document detailing how international research informs best practice in relationships and sexuality education. I'll put a link in the description to that also. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about Family Planning Victoria, you can go to fpv.org.au. You can contact Doing It directly at doingit at fpv.org.au. You could follow us on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter and please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. If you give us a great rating, it'll help other people find the podcast also. Thanks so much for listening.